This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. One of the most remarkable men in the history of our country, at least that I believe, is, is, is Benjamin Franklin. And the guy was just, just incredible. He, he was an inventor, a philosopher, a politician. Uh, he invented things like the lightning rod. Um, swim fins, do you know that they were invented by Benjamin Franklin? Uh, uh, bifocals uh, and, and, and this um, long arm he invented that you could reach books from the top of your shelf and, and tons more. He was a, a writer. Uh, he also wrote one of the most important documents in, in our country, uh, the, the Declaration of Independence, one of the writers on, on, on that. And just an incredible person. No wonder he's on the $100 bill. No wonder our city, Franklin, is named after Benjamin Franklin. And after he accomplished so much, he, he went after his most difficult task. He said that he wanted to strive for moral perfection. He wanted to use his, his genius, his, his, his understanding of science and psychology and everything he's learned, and he, he wanted to see if he could become morally perfect. He said it this way. I conceived the bold and arduous project of arriving at moral perfection. I wished to live without committing any fault at any time. I would conquer all that either natural inclination, custom, or company might lead me into. And so he really set out to try to be morally perfect. And so what he did was he came up with 13 virtues. 13 things that he was going to try to follow. And, and, and some of those virtues uh, went like this. Number one, temperance. He said, eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation. Silence. He said, I'll, I'll speak not but what may benefit others or yourself um, or speak and avoid trifling conversation. The last one, he said, is humility. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. And he put that all in this, this little sheet that he would carry around with himself. All, all the 13 virtues are there in that left column. And what he said was, is, is he, what he was going to try to do is throughout the day, if he ever broke one of his own virtues, he was going to put a black mark by that virtue of where he failed. And, and you think the first day, yeah, you get some black marks and, and maybe the next day. But, but he had hoped that there would be a day where he wouldn't have any black marks on his list. And you think if anybody could pull this off, a genius like Benjamin Franklin with all of his capacity and all his genius, all his intelligence, all his knowledge of philosophy, you would think he'd be able to pull that off. But then he realized, even after all of his hard work and all of his effort and all of his genius and all of his planning, he made this admission. He said, I never arrived at the perfection I had been so ambitious of attaining, but fell far short of it. I never arrived at perfection. He never got there. His scorecard, no matter how hard he tried, his scorecard still had black dots on it. He still had marks on it. And that really uh, leads us back, I think, to ourselves. I've been a pastor for about nine years now, and I, I serve the church in, in Orlando, Florida, a, a multicultural congregation. And uh, people from Venezuela and, 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 and the Dominican Republic and Colombia and Puerto Rico and all different nations. And, 
And then uh, more recent, last five years, I was in a, a church in the Midwest, and now I'm in a more traditional church, and now I'm here in a more contemporary church in Franklin. And, and no matter where I've been, no matter what culture I've been serving, what background I've been serving, I found this one thing in common. All of us have an internal scorecard. And all of us have to be honest, there's blotches on that scorecard. I've had the chance to get to know some of you. I, we, we did those signups and op opened up my schedule so I could visit with you. And, and, and we talked about, a little bit about why you come here to Victory and, and found out that, you know, we say things and, and we all believe this too, that, you know, we come here, so many great benefits here. We, we come, I come because I love the Victory Cafe. Or some people say, you know, I come because of a Victory Kids program, a great program here. I come because we, we love the music or the, the preaching seems relevant. And, and that's all true and good, but... but Sometimes we have a conversation that goes a little longer and then you tell me what's really going on. That, that, that scorecard's all full of black marks and you're looking for healing. You're ready to repent. You're ready to find healing, ready to find Jesus. And so the real reason we come to church is because we want to get a blank scorecard. We want to fix this problem. We want forgiveness because not only are, are we struggling with sin, but then what happens on top of that is the guilt. When we really think about what we've done, how we've hurt people, and, and how we've hurt people's lives, and, and, and you come and say, you know, my marriage is, is screwed up because of my decisions. My, my finances are screwed up because of my decisions, or, or things that are gone wrong in people's life because of my decisions. And, and this guilt is weighing down on our shoulders, and we're hoping that somehow we can find some relief. And so that's why I'm so excited to, to go to continue our sermon series called Promises, Promises. And, and each week we're looking at promises that you can hold on to no matter what the circumstance. And the promise we're looking at today is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What if that were true? What if the guilt and the shame that's been following you around actually was taken care of? What if there was hope and, and, and power to change and to renew your life? What if there was really no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Well, we'll see if that's actually true as we dive into the letter of Romans, a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Do you know much about Paul? Um, Paul was, was somebody who used to be a Christian killer. He, he used to actually um, round up Christians and put them in jail. He actually um, stood over and approved of the killing of, of some Christians until Jesus met him. It's a few years after Jesus' resurrection ascension, Jesus met um, the apostle Paul and changed him and forgive him. And Paul spent the rest of his life trying to make amends. He spent the rest of his life following Jesus, spent the rest of his life becoming a missionary. And, and probably one of the most important missionaries who ever lived. In fact, he wrote 13 letters that are in the New Testament. 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament are letters from the Apostle Paul. And probably one of his most famous letters is the letter to the Romans. Now, when you open up your New Testament, it actually comes as the first of Paul's letters, but um, it was actually probably written later on in his career. 
He'd already had some, some skin in the game. He already had some experience as a missionary. He's already seen um, different people and their sins and their problems and, the, and the, all the different things that were going on in their life. And, and, and so he writes this kind of anticipating what um, this congregation in Rome would be dealing with. He hadn't been there yet. And, and he was writing a letter to thinking about what they might be uh, dealing with. And he wanted to use Rome as a launch pad to continue his missionary work in Spain. And I'm only going to be able to, to show you a little snippet of this incredible letter. It is a masterpiece. The letter is a masterpiece. I had a chance this week, I think it was Thursday and Friday morning, I just sit down and I read the whole thing all the way through on Thursday morning. Then Friday morning, reading the whole, th- whole way through again. It's just, it is such a masterpiece of a letter. And today I'm only going to be able to show you kind of like a trailer to a movie. You know, you watch a, a trailer, it shows maybe some of the best scenes of a movie, um, but hopefully that kind of what's your appetite to go to the theaters and watch the whole thing, and that's kind of what I think this is going to do today. We're going to w- look at a, just a, a snippet of it. It's going to be deep, and, and it's going to be, um, I think, eye-opening and exciting, but I hopefully that leads you to sit down this week and read the whole deal the um, whole way through. And so this whole letter, kind of the structure of the letter is first, the first basically six chapters of the letter, Paul is laying out the the global and historical implications of the problem in our world. Um, He talks about how, uh, how the majority of the world, everybody in the world had turned away from God. They lived for themselves. They hurt people. They, they lived for their own wickedness and shame and that was the global problem of sin and evil. And then he, he narrowed it in on God's people, the people that he chosen, the, the, the children of Abraham. And he said, even the children of Abraham, um, who had God's word, who had Moses, who had the prophets, they screwed it up too. And so God had a plan through the nation of Israel to bring a savior and rescuer into the world. So he lays out this global, historical, magnificent story of salvation But then you get about halfway through the letter and Paul opens up his heart and he tells you what it's like to be Paul and he tells you um, what it's like to be himself. And and he says this in Romans chapter 7, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Paul, like Benjamin Franklin, had this scorecard. Benjamin Franklin had those 13 virtues that he tried to fulfill each day. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, I wake up every morning, I got the Ten Commandments in front of me, and there's good that I want to do, and I don't do the good I want to do. But the evil I don't want to do, this is what I keep on doing. And he can't believe it. Now, I want you to think about this. If a genius like Ben Franklin can't keep his scorecard clean, And if a super Christian, an apostle like Paul, can't keep his scorecard clean, what does that say about us? Who of us has kept our scorecard clean? Who of us has lived a perfect life without doing anything wrong? And when the apostle Paul actually looks inside of himself and sees who he really is, he falls to his knees And throws up his arms and says this, What a wretched man I am. 
Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I'm going to make an assumption that yes, you came here because we have Victory Kids and Victory Cafe and, and great music and hopefully preaching that connects and all these things and you have your friends here. But I'm going to make an assumption that, that deep down in your heart, this is what you're thinking. In fact, this is what a Christian sounds like when a Christian can finally reach rock bottom and say, what a wretched man I am. Who can rescue me? And you're ready to be honest about your sin. You're ready to be honest about the scorecard. You fall to your knees and you throw up your arms and say, what a wretched man I am. Because when you say that, now you're ready for healing. Now you're ready for the answer. Now you're ready for a clean scorecard. Only after you say something like this. And then Paul immediately he follows up with this. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Not thanks be to God, I get a new scorecard, I get a redo, I can try harder tomorrow. Not thanks be to God, I got some more good advice from God. Not thanks be to God, it's not as bad as I thought, but thanks be to God, someone has come to rescue me and his name is Jesus Christ. Now what does that rescue actually look like? Well, well, Paul knows the scriptures and, and he's thinking about what the whole story says. And, and we can go back 700 years before Jesus to a time of um, Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah looks forward into the future and the work of the Messiah. And Isaiah 53 probably lays it out clearer than any other part in scripture what the Messiah would do. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. I intentionally put, put this in um, uh, the underline, he was pierced. That's what happened to Jesus. Why? Because of what's in yellow, our transgressions. Every mark on our scorecard that led to him being pierced on the cross. Uh, he was crushed. Why was he crushed on that cross? Because of the blots, the iniquities, the blots on our scorecard. The punishment was laid on him, and that gives us peace. Um, for me, when I'm feeling guilt and shame, I can feel it physically. I don't know if that's how it is for you when you feel guilt and shame. For me, it all settles in my lower back and my back twists up like a, like a tight, cold rubber band, just kind of twists up. But when I hear that I'm forgiven, when, when I hear good news, like when Pastor Bill comes, he talks about me being a forgiven child of God and, and repent of sin and, and receive Jesus' forgiveness, uh, I can just feel it even in my body. I can feel my back, the peace of God. He was crushed for our peace. And by his wounds, what he suffered, we get healed. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. And because of that, Paul begins the next chapter saying, Therefore, 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 here's a promise of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're a believer in Jesus. You've repented of your sin. You've said, what a wretched man I am. There's no more scorecards for you. No more scorecards. The scorecards have been ripped up. You say, what a wretched man I am. Scorecard has been thrown away. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's all in Christ Jesus. Now, 
How do you make this promise your own? How, do you, how does this no condemnation uh, happen for you? How does it happen for you? It says in Christ Jesus. How do you get in Christ Jesus? Well, Paul goes on. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, if you do sit down this week and you start reading the, the letter to the Romans, you're going to see this word law on like every page of his letter. And he loves to do kind of word plays with the word law. Uh, it's the same Greek word law, uh, but it means all sorts of different things throughout the letter. Sometimes it means like a principle, like a law, like a, a, a custom, a principle, sometimes like a power, sometimes law meaning rule, sometimes law meaning Old Testament laws, sometimes meaning the Bible, uh, sometimes the scorecard. And here it kind of means principle. Because through Jesus Christ, the principle or the power of the Holy Spirit who gives life has set you free from the principle of sin and death. The principle is we sinned, we deserve death. But what set us free from that principle, that, that, that rule, that practice that we sin, we deserve death was the Holy Spirit who gives us life. When we confess the Nicene Creed, every other week when we have the communion, we confess the Nicene Creed. It goes way back to like the third century. And, and they were so wise because when they described the, the Holy Spirit, it says, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. And everywhere you look in the Bible, when you, you see the Holy Spirit, he's giving life. On the second verse of the Bible, you open up your Bible, second verse of the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, giving life to the world. You keep reading the Bible. Everywhere you see, basically, the Holy Spirit is bringing dead things to life. And that's what he's done with you. By nature, we reject God. By nature, we want to minimize our sin. By nature, we want to get around God. By nature, we want to rebel against God. But the Holy Spirit brings us to the point of saying, what a wretched person I am, confessing our sin, and then to trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit sets us free as we believe in Jesus, as we focus on Jesus. As we receive his record and what he's done, it gives us life. Now, now, why do we need that? Well, he goes on to say, for, the, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now here in this verse, the word law, I think, means the scorecard. For what the scorecard was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Um, what he's saying here is, um, we all know the right thing we're supposed to do. We all know the scorecard. Benjamin Franklin wrote up his 13 virtues. Some of us have studied the Ten Commandments. But, but really the law, it's written on our hearts. We, we know we're supposed to be better people. We know we're supposed to um, love God. We're not supposed to help people. We're not supposed to treat people with dignity and respect. We know we're supposed to protect people and not harm them. We know we're supposed to be sexually pure. We know all these things. We know the right thing to do. But it's not about knowing the right thing. It's actually doing the right thing. And he says, the flesh was weak. Like Jesus said, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We know what the scorecard is, but we got marks all over it. So what we couldn't do by just filling out the scorecard, what we couldn't do by just trying harder, God did. God did how? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What we couldn't do with our scorecard, God did by sending Jesus, who had the perfect scorecard. 
What's so remarkable about Jesus, he is the one person in history that could hold up his scorecard without any marks on it and said, I've never done anything wrong. And he could say that in perfect humility. Now, if I said that to you, if I said, you know, I've never done anything wrong. Like, we all laugh when Pastor Bill said that today about the, the, the baptism, right? Like, oh yeah, you guys never do anything wrong and your kids never do anything wrong. Um, we all laugh because we know that doesn't happen. But when Jesus says that we don't laugh, we're in awe because he actually does it. He's the one person in history who's never done anything wrong. And he became our substitute. His record gets transferred over to ours as he became a sin offering. Now that's a pretty deep theological idea. If you'd open up your Bible and start reading through it, you'd notice in the Old Testament there's all these sin offerings. They were giving animals uh, as a sin offering, as a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. But when they would bring up these animals to have animal sacrifices, they had to bring a perfect animal. They had to bring a perfect animal, a, a perfect spotless lamb. It was a picture of who Jesus would be. And that's what we call our church, the victory of the lamb, because he is the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All that being said, here's what I want you to come home with. If you're filling in the blanks, the first fill in the blank is, I am innocent before God. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, so I can say I am innocent before God. In fact, I think it is even more powerful to say it in the third person. Ben is innocent before God. God is happy with Ben. You know, put your name in there. Um, that God's happy with you. That, that you are innocent before God because of the righteousness of Jesus. Because what, of Je what Jesus did in your place. God's happy with you. He's happy with you. And, and it's not based on our performance. I mean, what a, what a huge relief that would have been for the Apostle Paul. I mean, a guy who killed Christians, a guy who killed Christians, a guy who threw Christians in jail, went to Jesus and asked for forgiveness, said, what a wretched man I am, and he left forgiven. He's innocent before God. And that's true for you. No more scorecards you are declared innocent. Now, that leads me to one of my favorite um, songs, actually, it reminds me of a favorite song. When I was installed here, I told um, some people here at Victory that I, I had a favorite song called here, His Be the Victor's Name. And, and, and I was surprised to know that the band was practicing that song. It's a pretty difficult song, and they sang it at my installation. I was like weeping, because I love this chorus. It goes like this. Though the vile accuser roar, talking about the devil, the devil comes and accuses us. After he tempts us into sin, then he accuses us. Though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. My God knoweth them none. Though the vile accuser roar of sins that I have done, I know them well and thousands more. My God in Jesus Christ knoweth them none. Now does that mean that we'll never see any progress in our life. Does that mean, okay, yeah, I got a bad scorecard, but Jesus has forgiven me. My scorecard's clean now. Does that mean I have to go back tomorrow and fill it all up again, that I'm going to keep going back into the same old sin? No. In fact, um, you, you're not going to go back into that old sin. God's going to give you the power to change, to repent, to see difference in your life. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He said that, that God condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. That we can begin to fulfill the law 
not by our own strength, but by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, that we can begin to see progress. We can begin to, to, to see change. Even Ben Franklin said um, that he was happy he did that exercise of writing down all of his sins against his virtues because he did see progress. He never had a clean uh, scorecard, but he did see progress. How much more us who now walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're probably never going to have a perfect day, but we're going to see some progress as we walk with the Holy Spirit. And, and so Paul makes this point. He says, therefore... Based on the Holy Spirit working in us, therefore, brothers and sisters, now we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. You can't go live according to that flesh anymore. You can't go back to where you were before. Uh, For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so here's the takeaway point. Put sin to death. It's the next fill in the blank. Put sin to death. Put sin to death. There's no condemnation. There's no more scorecards with you. And so now use your energy to put sin to death, to go after it, um, to, to change, to live a new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do you do that? Well, I think there are three ways that, that you can begin to live a new life in Christ. Because there's no more condemnation, because there's no more scorecards, you now have the energy to put sin to death. In response to God's love and, and to show how much he loves you, three ways. You expose it, you renounce it, and you replace it. You expose it, you renounce it, replace it. You expose it. Because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, it's time to bring the sin to light. It's time to bring it to light and, 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 and talk about it. I think about uh, the weight that was off my shoulders when I went to Professor Bivens. Uh, he goes to worship here uh, when I was back in seminary. Um, if I would tell you what I confess, you'd think, oh, that's no big deal. Why do you even talk about that? Why did you even bring that up to Professor Bivens? But that's not what he said. When I went and talked to him, he looked right at me. I was in his, his library, his de- office filled with books, wall-to-wall books, and he was sitting behind his desk, and he didn't minimize the thing I brought up, and he didn't, he didn't push it aside. He said, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. He looked at me, and he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. If you want to see some change in your life, you want to put sin to death, bring it to light. Expose it. Tell somebody about it. Tell a pastor. Tell a friend so that you can hear about the forgiveness of Jesus. Then second, renounce it. Say, I'm not going back there. I'm not going to go live in that anymore. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I'm not condemned. I'm not going to go back there. If you, if you see yourself falling to sin when you go hang out with that group of people, don't hang out with that group of people anymore. If you find yourself falling into that sin when you watch that show, don't watch that show. If you, if you find yourself falling back into sin when you're in that situation, don't go back to that situation. Because you are a forgiven child of God, there's no condemnation. Renounce it. And then finally replace it. Replace it. Um, in a book I've mentioned, I think, before two weeks ago when I talked about uh, habits, uh, James Clear book, The Power of Habits, he, he says, and I think also uh, Charles Duhigg in his book, um, The Power of Habit, um, talks about you can't stop a bad habit. You can only replace it. You've got to put something in its place. You've got to put something in its place. Um, and I think that's the same with sin. And the Apostle Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, 
almost get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking with one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. Replace it. Don't get filled up in wine. Get filled up on the Holy Spirit. Don't get filled up with envy. Get filled up with thankfulness. Um, Don't get filled up with anger. Get filled up with love. Replace that sin with something else. And the reason we can do all this is because there's no more scorecards. There's no more scorecards. I just think about if on the way out of church today, I did give all of you a scorecard, right? Gave you all a scorecard, like Benjamin Franklin's scorecard with the 13 virtues. How long would it take to have the scorecard filled up with blotches, right? I mean, I think half of us, we would, we would leave here, we'd get in the parking lot, we'd come back and say, I need a new one. This one's already filled. Like, bingo, right? And, you know, you come back in, you get another one. And that's why I love this promise we have from God. In fact, I think Paul brings us all together, this, this picture all together in, in when he writes, God canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. God, in other words, God took away the record, the scorecard. God took away the, the scorecard by nailing it to a cross. I mean, if I did hand out these sheets of paper, what, what God is saying, he's, he's, he's rounding all those sheets of paper up and he's, he's putting them in his hands and he's nailing those, those scorecards to the cross where they're forgotten and forgiven. And now as freed people who are forgiven, now that there's no condemnation, now we can aim for perfection. Now we can renounce our sin. Now we can expose our sin. Now we can live a new life. Now we can start over. Because, dear friends, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we live in a country that puts so much value on performance. And we've tried We've tried to to live good lives, but our scorecard is filled with blotches. And so we hand it over to you, Jesus. And we ask that you would nail it all to the cross, that we would leave here forgiven children of God. And Lord God, now I pray that you would fill this group with your Holy Spirit, that we would live lives of putting sin to death, live lives of exposing sin and renouncing sin and replacing sin, all to bring glory to your amazing name. And now, Lord God, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.